Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Our protagonist walks the fine line of sanity and madness. He wonders what powers control his mind, what powers could control the minds of others. He witnesses firsthand his cousin, controlled by a suggestion, controlled by a mysterious power. What will happen to our protagonist, or rather, what is happening? Welcome listeners to the finale of our mystery tale. I have had many guesses sent to me via email, and so far some of you are close. I've also had a lot of people asking for hints, but I cannot share those. All will be revealed at the end of this episode, so I won't keep you waiting. Join me for a delicious Earl Grey, yum, and a classic tale. I knew that she was very rich, and so I continued. What? Has not your husband 4,000 francs at his disposal? Come, think. Are you sure that he commissioned you to ask me for them? She hesitated for a few seconds, as if she were making a great effort to search her memory, and then she replied, Yes, yes, I am quite sure of it. Has he written to you? She hesitated again and reflected, and I guessed the torture of her thoughts. She did not know. She only knew that she was to borrow 5,000 francs off me for her husband. So she told a lie. Yes, he has written to me. When, pray, you did not mention it to me yesterday. I received his letter this morning. Can you show it to me? No, no, no. It contained private matters, things too personal to ourselves. I burned it. So your husband runs into debt? She hesitated again, and then murmured, I do not know. Thereupon I said bluntly, I have not 5,000 francs at my disposal at this moment, my dear cousin. She uttered a cry, as if she were in pair, and said, Oh, I beseech you to get them for me. She got excited and clasped her hands as if she were praying to me. I heard her voice change its tone. She wept and sobbed, harassed and dominated by the irresistible order she had received. Oh, I beg you to, if you knew what I am suffering, I want them today. I had pity on her. You shall have them by and by, I swear to you. Oh, thank you, thank you, how kind you are. I continued. Do you remember what took place at your house last night? Yes. Do you remember Dr. Parent sending you to sleep? Yes. Oh, very well then. He ordered you to come to me this morning to borrow 5,000 francs, and at this moment you are obeying that suggestion. She considered for a few moments and then replied, But as it is my husband who wants them, for a whole hour I tried to convince her, but could not succeed. And when she had gone, I went to the doctor. He was just going out and listened to me with a smile and said, Do you believe now? Yes, I cannot help it. Let us go to your cousins. 
She was already resting on a couch, overcome with fatigue. The doctor felt her pulse, looked at her for some time with one hand raised towards her eyes, which she closed by degrees under the irresistible power of his magnetic influence. When she was asleep, he said, Your husband does not require the 5,000 francs any longer. You must, therefore, forget that you asked your cousin to lend them to you. And if he speaks to you about it, you will not understand him. Then he woke her up, and I took out a pocketbook and said, Here, here is what you asked me for this morning, my dear cousin. But she was so surprised that I did not venture to persist. Nevertheless, I tried to recall the circumstance to her, but she denied it, vigorously, and thought that I was making fun of her, and in the end, very nearly lost her temper. July 19th. Many people to whom I have told this adventure to have laughed at me. I no longer know what to think. The wise man says, perhaps. July 21st. I dined at Bougival, and then I spent the evening at Boatman's Ball. Decidedly, everything depends on place and surroundings. It would be the height of folly to believe in the supernatural on the Isle de la Grenouille. But on the top of Mont Saint Michel or in India, we are terribly under the influence of our surroundings. I shall return home next week. July 30th. I came back to my own house yesterday. Everything is going on well. August 2nd. Nothing fresh. It is splendid weather, and I spend most of my days in watching the Sieni flow past. August 4th. Quarrels among my servants. They declare that the glasses are broken in the cupboards at night. The footman accuses the cook, she accuses the needlewoman, and the latter accuses the other two. Who is the culprit? It would take a clever person to tell. August 6th. This time I am not mad. I have seen. I have seen. I have seen. I can doubt no longer. I have seen it. I was walking at two o'clock among my rose trees, in the full sunlight, in the walk bordered by autumn roses, which are beginning to fall, as I stopped to look at the giant di Batelli, which had three splendid blooms, I distinctly saw the stalk of one of the roses bend close to me, as if an invisible hand had bent it, and then break, as if that hand had picked it. Then the flower raised itself, following the curve which a hand would have described in carrying it toward a mouth, and remained suspended in the transparent air, alone and motionless, a terrible red spot, three yards from my eyes. In desperation, I rushed at it to take it. I found nothing. It had disappeared. Then I was seized with furious rage against myself, for it is not wholesome for a reasonable and serious man to have such hallucinations. But was it a hallucination? I turned to look for the stalk, and I found it immediately under the bush, freshly broken between the two other roses which remained on the branch. I returned home, then, with a much disturbed mind.
For I am certain now, certain as I am, of the alternation of day and night, that there exists, close to me, an invisible being who lives on milk and on water, who can touch objects, take them and change their places, who is, consequently, endowed with a material nature, although imperceptible to sense, and who lives as I do, under my roof. August 7th. I slept tranquilly. He drank the water out of my decanter, but did not disturb my sleep. I ask myself whether I am mad. As I was walking just now in the sun by the riverside, doubts as to my own sanity arose in me. Not just vague doubts I have had hitherto, but precise and absolute doubts. I have seen mad people, and I have known some who were quite intelligent, lucid, even clear-sighted in every concern of life except on one point. They could speak clearly, readily, profoundly on everything, till their thoughts were caught in the breakers of their delusions and went to pieces there. They were dispersed and swamped in that furious and terrible sea of fogs and squalls which is called madness. I certainly should think that I was mad, absolutely mad, if I were not conscious that I knew my state, if I could not fathom it and analyze it with the most complete lucidity. I should, in fact, be a reasonable man, laboring under a hallucination. Some unknown disturbance must have been excited in my brain. One of those disturbances with psychologists of the present day try to note and to fix precisely. And that disturbance must have caused a profound gulf in my mind. And in the order and logic of my ideas. Similar phenomena occur in dreams and led us through the most unlikely phantasmagoria without causing us any surprise because our verifying apparatus and our sense of control have gone to sleep, while our imaginative faculty wakes and works. Was it not possible that one of the imperceptible keys of the cerebral fingerboard had been paralyzed in me? Some men lose the recollection of proper names or of verbs or of numbers or merely of dates in consequence of an accident. The localization of all the avenues of thought has been accomplished nowadays. What, then, would there be surprising in the fact that my faculty of controlling the unreality of certain hallucinations should be destroyed for the time being? I thought of all this as I walked by the side of the water. The sun was shining brightly on the river and made earth delightful. While it filled me with love for life, for the swallows whose swift agility is always delightful in my eyes. For the plants by the riverside whose rustling is a pleasure to my ears. By degrees, however, an inexplicable feeling of discomfort seized me. It seemed to me as if some unknown force were numbing and stopping me, were preventing me from going further and were calling me back. I felt that painful wish to return that comes on you when there is a beloved left at home and are seized by a persistent that he is worse. I, therefore, returned despite of myself, feeling certain that I should find some bad news awaiting me, a letter or a telegram. There was nothing, 
however, and I was surprised and uneasy, more so than if I had had another fantastic vision. August 8th. I spent a terrible evening yesterday. He does not show himself anymore, but I feel that he is near me, watching me, looking at me, penetrating me, dominating me, and more terrible to me when he hides himself thus than if he were to manifest his constant and invisible presence by supernatural phenomena. However, I slept. August 9th. Nothing but I am afraid. August 10th. Nothing but what will happen tomorrow. August 11th. Still nothing. I cannot stop at home with this fear hanging over me and these thoughts in my mind. I shall go away. August 12th. 10 o'clock at night. All day long I have been trying to get away and have not been able. I contemplated a simple and easy act of liberty, a carriage ride to Rouen, and I have not been able to do it. What is the reason? August 13th. When one is attacked by certain maladies, the springs of our physical being seem broken, our energies destroyed, our muscles relaxed, our bones to be as soft as our flesh, and our blood as liquid as water. I am experiencing the same in my moral being. In a strange and distressing manner, I have no longer any strength, any courage, any self-control, nor even any power to set my own will in motion. I have no power left to will anything, but someone does it for me, and I obey. August 14th. I am lost. Somebody possesses my soul and governs it. Somebody orders all my acts, all my movements, all my thoughts. I am no longer master of myself, nothing except an enslaved and terrified spectator of things which I do. I wish to go out. I cannot. He does not wish to. And so I remain, trembling and distracted, in the armchair in which he keeps me sitting. I merely wish to get up and to rouse myself, so as to think that I am still master of myself. I cannot. I am riveted to my chair, and my chair adheres to the floor in such a manner that no force of mine can move us. Then suddenly, I must... I must go to the foot of my garden to pick some strawberries and eat them. And I go there. I pick the strawberries and I eat them. Oh my god. My god, is there a god? If there be one, deliver me. Save me. Succor me. Pardon me. Pity. Mercy. Save me. Oh, what sufferings. What tortures. What horror. August 15th. Certainly this is the way in which my poor cousin was possessed and swayed when she came to borrow 5,000 francs of me. She was under the power of a strange will which had entered into her like another soul, a parasitic and ruling soul. Is the world coming to an end? But who is he, this invisible being that rules me? This unknowable being, 
this rover of a supernatural race. Invisible beings exist, then. How is it, then, that since the beginning of the world, they have never manifested themselves in such a manner as they do to me? I have never read anything that resembles what goes on in my house. Oh, if I could only leave it! If I could only go away and flee and never return, I should be saved. But I cannot. August 16th. I managed to escape today for two hours, like a prisoner who finds the door of his dungeon accidentally open. I suddenly felt that I was free, and that he was far away, and so I gave orders to put the horses in as quickly as possible, and I drove to Rowene. Oh, how delightful to be able to say to my coachman, Go! To Rowene! I made him pull up before the library, and I begged them to lend me Dr. Herman Herestaus's treatise on the unknown inhabitants of the ancient and modern world. Then, as I was getting into my carriage, I intended to say, To the railway station! But instead of this, I shouted. I did not speak, but I shouted in such a loud voice that all the passers-by turned around. Home! And I fell back onto the cushion of my carriage, overcome by mental agony. He had found me out and regained possession of me. August 17th. Oh, what a night, what a night! And yet it seems to me that I ought to rejoice. I read until one o'clock in the morning. Herestaus, Doctor of Philosophy, and Theogony wrote the history and the manifestation of all those invisible beings which hover around man, or of whom he dreams. He describes their origin, their domains, their power, but none of them resembles the one which haunts me. One might say that man, ever since he has thought, has had a foreboding and a fear of a new being, stronger than himself, his successor in this world, and that, feeling him near, and not being able to foretell the nature of the Unseen One, he has, in his terror, created the whole race of hidden beings, vague phantoms born of fear. Having therefore read until one o'clock in the morning, I went and sat down at the open window, in order to cool my forehead and my thoughts in the calm night air. It was very pleasant and warm. How I should have enjoyed such a night formerly. There was no moon, but the stars darted out their rays in the dark heavens. Who inhabits those worlds? What forms, what living beings, what animals are there yonder? Do those thinkers in those distant worlds know more than we do? What can they do more than we? What do they see, which we do not? Will not one of them, some day or other, traversing space, appear on our earth to conquer it? Just as formerly the Norsemen crossed the sea in order to subjugate nations feebler than themselves, we are so weak, so powerless, so ignorant, so small. We, who live on this particle of mud which revolves in liquid air. I fell asleep, dreaming thus in the cool night air, and then having slept for about three quarters of an hour, I opened my eyes without moving awakened by an indescribably confused and strange sensation. At first I saw nothing, and then suddenly it appeared to me as if a page of the book, which had remained open on my table, turned over of its own accord, 
Not a breath of air had come in at my window, and I was surprised and waited. In about four minutes, I saw, I saw, yes, I saw with my own eyes, another page lift itself up and fall down on the others, as if a finger had turned it over. My armchair was empty, appeared empty, but I knew that he was there and sitting in my place, and that he was reading. With a furious bound, the bound of an enraged wild beast that wishes to disembowel its tamer, I crossed my room to seize him, to strangle him, to kill him. But before I could reach it, my chair fell over, as if somebody had run away from me. My table rocked, my lamp fell and went out, and my window closed, as if some thief had been surprised and had fled out into the night, shutting it behind him. So he had run away, he had been afraid, he afraid of me. So tomorrow, or later, some day or other, I should be able to hold him in my clutches and crush him against the ground. Do not dogs occasionally bite and strangle their masters? August 18th. I have been thinking the whole day long. Oh yes, I will obey him, follow his impulses, fulfill all his wishes, show myself humble, submissive, a coward. He is the stronger, but an hour will come. August 19th. I know, I know, I know all. I have just read the following in the Revue du Monde Scientifique. A curious piece of news comes to us from Rio de Janeiro. Madness, an epidemic of madness, which may be compared to that contagious madness which attacked the people of Europe in the Middle Ages, is at this moment raging in the province of São Paulo. The frightened inhabitants are leaving their houses, deserting their villages, abandoning their land, saying that they are pursued, possessed, governed like human cattle by invisible, though tangible beings, by a species of vampire, which feeds on their life while they are asleep, and which besides drinks water and milk without appearing to touch any other nourishment. Professor Don Pedro Henriquez, accompanied by several medical savants, has gone to the province of São Paulo in order to study the origin and the manifestations of this surprising madness on the spot, and to propose such measures to the emperor as may appear to him to be most fitted to restore the mad population to reason. Ah, I remember now that fine Brazilian three-master which passed in front of my windows as it was going up the Siani on the 8th of last May. I thought it looked so pretty, so white and bright. That being was on board of her. Coming from there, where its race sprang from. And it saw me. It saw my house, which was also white, and he sprang from the ship onto the land. Oh, good heavens. Now I know I can divine. The reign of man is over and he has come. He, whom disquieted priests exercised, whom sorcerers evoked on dark nights without seeing him appear. He to whom the imaginations of the transient masters of the world lent all the monstrous or graceful forms of gnomes, spirits, genie, fairies, and familiar spirits, 
After the coarse conceptions of primitive fear, men more enlightened gave him a truer form. Mesmer divined him. And ten years ago, physicians accurately discovered the nature of his power, even before he exercised it himself. They played with that weapon of their new lord, the sway of mysterious will over the human soul, which had become enslaved. They called it mesmerism, hypnotism, suggestion. I know not what. I have seen them diverting themselves like rash children with this horrible power. Woe to us, woe to man. He has come. The, the, what does he call himself? The... I fancy that he is shouting out his name to me and I do not hear him. The, yes, he is shouting it out. I am listening. I cannot repeat it. Horla. I have heard. The Horla. It is he. The Horla. He has come. Oh, the vulture has eaten the pigeon. The wolf has eaten the lamb. The lion has devoured the sharp-horned buffalo. Man has killed the lion with an arrow, with a spear, with gunpowder. But the Horla will make of man what man has made of the horse and of the ox. His cattle, his slave, and his food by the mere power of his will. Woe to us. But nevertheless... Sometimes the animal rebels and kills the man who has subjugated it. I shall also like and be able to, but I must know him, touch him, see him. Learned men say that eyes of animals, as they differ from ours, do not distinguish as ours do, and my eye cannot distinguish this newcomer who is oppressing me. Why? Oh, now I remember the words of the monk at Mont saint Michel. Can we see the hundred thousandth part of what exists? Listen, there is the wind which is the strongest force in nature. It knocks men down, blows down buildings, uproots trees, raises the sea into mountains of water, destroys cliffs, and casts great ships onto the breakers. It kills, it whistles, it sighs, it roars. Have you ever seen it? And can you see it? It exists for all that, however. And I went on thinking, my eyes are so weak, so imperfect, that they do not even distinguish hard bodies if they are as transparent as glass. If a glass without quicksilver behind it were to bar my way, I should run into it, just like a bird which has flown into a room breaks its head against the window panes. A thousand things, moreover, deceive a man and lead him astray. How then is it surprising that he cannot perceive a new body which is penetrated and pervaded by the light? A new being. Why not? It was assuredly bound to come. Why should we be the last? We do not distinguish it like all the others created before us. The reason is that its nature is more delicate, its body finer and more finished than ours. Our makeup is so weak, so awkwardly conceived. Our body is encumbered with organs that are always tired, always being strained like locks that are too complicated. It lives like a plant, 
and like an animal nourishing itself with difficulty on air, herbs and flesh. It is a brute machine, which is a prey to maladies, to malformations, to decay. It is broken-winded, badly regulated, simple and eccentric, ingeniously yet badly made, a coarse and yet a delicate mechanism, in brief, the outline of a being which might become intelligent and great. There are only a few, so few, stages of development in this world, from the oyster up to man. Why should there not be one more, when once that period is accomplished, which separates these successive products, one from the other? Why not one more? Why not, also? Other trees with immense splendid flowers, perfuming whole regions. Why not other elements besides fire, air, earth, and water? There are four, only four, nursing fathers of various beings. What a pity. Why should not there be forty, four hundred, four thousand? How poor everything is. How mean and wretched. Grudgingly given. Poorly invented. Clumsily made. Ugh. The elephant and the hippopotamus. What power. And the camel. What suppleness. But the butterfly, you will say, a flying flower. I dream of one that should be as large as a hundred worlds, with wings whose shape, beauty, colours, and motion I cannot even express. But I see it. It flutters from star to star, refreshing them and perfuming them with the light and harmonious breath of its flight. And the people up there gaze at it as it passes in ecstasy of delight. What is the matter with me? It is he, the hauler who haunts me, and who makes me think of these foolish things. He is within me. He is becoming my soul. I shall kill him. August 20th. I shall kill him. I have seen him. Yesterday I sat down at my table and pretended to write very assiduously. I knew quite well that he would come prowling around me, quite close to me, so close that I might be able to touch him, to seize him. And then, then I should have the strength of desperation. I should have my hands, my knees, my chest, my forehead, my teeth, to strangle him, to crush him, to bite him, to tear him to pieces. And I watched for him with all my overexcited nerves. I had lighted my two lamps and the eight wax candles on my mantelpiece, as if by this light I should discover him. My bed, my old oak bed with its columns, was opposite to me. On my right was the fireplace, on my left the door, which was carefully closed, after I had left it open for some time, in order to attract him. Behind me was a very high wardrobe with a looking glass in it, which served me to dress by every day and in which I was in the habit of inspecting myself from head to foot every time I passed it. So I pretended to be writing in order to deceive him. For he also was watching me, and suddenly I felt, I was certain, that he was reading over my shoulder, that he was there, almost touching my ear. I got up so quickly, with my hands extended, that I almost fell. Horror! It was as bright as midday, but I did not see myself in the glass. It was empty, clear, 
profound, full of light. But my figure was not reflected in it, and I... I was opposite to it. I saw the large clear glass from top to bottom, and I looked at it with unsteady eyes. I did not dare advance. I did not venture to make a movement, feeling certain, nevertheless, that he was there. But that he would escape me again, he whose imperceptible body had absorbed my reflection. How frightened I was. And then suddenly, I began to see myself through a mist in the depths of the looking glass, in a mist, as it were, or through a veil of water. And it seemed to me as if this water were flowing slowly from left to right, and making my figure clearer every moment. It was like the end of an eclipse. Whatever hid me did not appear to possess any clearly defined outlines, but was a sort of opaque transparency, which gradually grew clearer. At last, I was able to distinguish myself completely, as I do every day when I look at myself. I had seen him, and the horror of it remained with me, and makes me shudder even now. August 21st. How could I kill him, since I could not get hold of him? Poison? But you would see me mix it with the water, and then, would our poisons have any effect on his impalpable body? No, no. No doubt about the matter. Then... then... August 22nd. I sent for a blacksmith from Rowen, and ordered iron shutters of him, for my room such as some private hotels in Paris have on the ground floor, for fear of thieves, and he is going to make me a similar door as well. I have made myself out a coward, but I do not care about that. September 10th. It is done. It is done. But is he dead? My mind is thoroughly upset by what I have seen. Well then, yesterday, the locksmith having put on the iron shutters and door... I left everything open until midnight, although it was getting cold. Suddenly, I felt that he was there, and joy, mad joy, took possession of me. I got up softly, and I walked to the right and left for some time, so that he might not guess anything. Then I took off my boots and put on my slippers carelessly. Then I fastened the iron shutters, and going back to the door quickly, I double-locked it with a padlock putting the key into my pocket. Suddenly, I noticed that he was moving restlessly around me, that in his turn, he was frightened and was ordering me to let him out. I nearly yielded, though I did not quite. But putting my back to the door, I half opened it, just enough to allow me to go out backward. And as I am very tall, my head touched the lintel, I was sure that he had not been able to escape, and I shut him up quite alone. Quite alone. What happiness! I had him fast. Then I ran downstairs into the drawing room, which was under my bedroom. I took the two lamps and poured all the oil onto the carpet, the furniture, everywhere. Then I set fire to it and made my escape, after having carefully double-locked the door. I went and hid myself at the bottom of a garden, in a clump of laurel bushes. How long it was, how long it was, everything was dark. 
silent, motionless, not a breath of air and not a star, but heavy banks of clouds which one could not see, but which weighed, oh, so heavily on my soul. I looked at my house and waited. How long it was. I already began to think that the fire had gone out on its own accord, or that he had extinguished it, when one of the lower windows gave way under the violence of the flames, and a long, soft, caressing sheet of red flame mounted up the white wall and kissed it as high as the roof. The light fell onto the trees, the branches, and the leaves, and a shiver of fear pervaded them also. The birds awoke, a dog began to howl, and it seemed to me as if the day were breaking. Almost immediately, two other windows flew into fragments, and I saw that the whole of the lower part of my house was nothing but a terrible furnace, but a cry, a horrible, shrill heart-rending cry, a woman's cry, sounded through the night, and two garret windows were opened. I had forgotten the servants. I saw the terror-struck faces and the frantic waving of their arms. Then, overwhelmed with horror, I ran off to the village, shouting, Help! Help! Fire! Fire! Meeting some people who were already coming onto the scene. I went back with them to see. By this time the house was nothing but a horrible and magnificent funeral pile. A monstrous pyre which lit up the whole country. A pyre where men were burning. And where he was burning also. He. He, my prisoner. That new being, the new master. The Horla. Suddenly, the whole roof fell in between the walls, and a volcano of flames darted up to the sky. Through all the windows which opened on that furnace, I saw the flames darting, and I reflected that he was there, in that kiln, dead. Dead, perhaps, his body was not his body, which was transparent, indestructible by such means as would kill ours. If he were not dead, perhaps time alone has power over that invisible and redoubtable being. Why this transparent, unrecognizable body, this body belonging to a spirit, if it also had to fear ills, infirmities, and premature destruction? All human terror springs from that. After man, the horla. After him who can die every day. At any hour, at any moment, by any accident, he came. He, who was only to die at his own proper hour and minute, because he had touched the limits of his existence. No, no, there is no doubt about it. He is not dead. Then, then, I suppose, I must kill myself. And thus concludes the mysterious classic tale, The Horla, by Guy de Maupassant. Ah yes, The Horla, an old tale, in fact 131 years old, brought to your lovely ears. Did you like the story? I love the ideas it explored, for example the creature versus the illness. I also really liked the character of the Doctor who brought a unique edge to the story. A little feeling of the occult when he was around. <laughs> the concept of power of suggestion, mesmerism or hypnotism, 
which back then would have been perceived very differently, so it's kind of like a little time capsule, which had me enjoying it every step of the way. What I didn't like so much perhaps could have been the pacing, but beyond that, I think it's a great story. But did you dislike it? And if so, why? What was your conclusion in the end of this tale? I'm wondering if the protagonist did indeed catch that madness, or illness, that was plaguing San Paolo, and it manifested itself as the creature and the hallucinations. Or could the horror actually exist? What do you think? I'd love to know. Do you think the horror was really there, or are the poor ravings of a mind afflicted with disease? And stick with me Friday, you awesome listeners, and I'll bring to you a creepypasta, handpicked as always, just for your creepylicious ears. Stay creepy, and till next time. time.